coming up on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. Snobs. Yeah. We're talking about the snobs. It's a little it's a little difficult with the snobs. My second sister, well, my oldest sister is my half sister, and she's a surprise sister. I'm Tall Mike Wine for God's sakes. At least you're not just Tall Mike anymore, you know? Right. I don't think of myself as a wine sale. I think of myself as a storyteller. Yeah. Avenue Q. Have you seen Avenue Q? with the puppets? Yeah, that's the one with the puppets. There's a lot of puppet sex in that show. I have performed that one, and I have done a lot of puppet sex, and I'm really good at it now. What can I say? And now, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The cell phones have been silenced. The wine is poured. And truth be told, we've already started sipping it. And just like that, the podcast begins. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The wine podcast that's not all about wine. The wine podcast like no other. I'm your host, Mike Stone. Nearing the three-year mark as host of the podcast heard in 69 countries on six continents and in 48 of these United States, coast to coast, from Redlands, California, to Council Bluffs, Iowa, from Richmond, Texas, to Brookfield, Missouri, home of the Great Pershing Balloon Derby every Labor Day weekend. Thank you, Brookfield, and thank you for finding me. Now, if you'd be so kind as to subscribe to the podcast, punch that five-star rating, and if you're new here, scroll through the nearly three years of content and get up to speed Lots of conversations have happened up to this point. Check them out. Also, I'm looking for some financial support for the podcast, and it's all set up for you to drop a few bucks to help me keep things going. Click the support the show link in the show notes or go to tallmikewine.com for details. Thank you in advance for sponsoring the show. I'm back in the Vintner's Room at Nicholson Ranch Winery in Sonoma, where I hold down a real job and host my podcast guests. My guest this time for episode 49, he drives a bus for one of our local wine touring companies and leads tours all over Sonoma and Napa. But that's not all. He's also a stage actor who's appeared in a few dozen plays throughout the Bay Area, including stints as Romeo in Romeo and Juliet, David Copperfield in David Copperfield, and none other than Jesus in Jesus Christ's Superstar, among others. He's also a trained llama handler, puppeteer, and can belch on cue. That's some bio. And we've only just scratched the surface. My guest is Kyle Stoner. Hey, Kyle. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? I'm doing great. Beautiful. Thanks for coming. Of course. I'm glad to be here. Welcome to the Vintner's Room. I love it here. Have you been in here before? I've been in here uh, maybe a few times, a handful of times. Okay, because mostly when you bring people on the bus, we're outside in the beautiful California sunshine. Uh But on the colder days, we move things inside, and this is the Vintner's Room. Yeah, It's nice in here. It's nice and cozy. People Mm -hmm. uh, get to feel special. They should feel special, (laughs) for sure. Your resume is impressive. You sent me your theater resume. Thank mm-hmm. you. Right. Lots of shows. You don't seem that old to me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How did you manage? Is it all makeup? It's just pure makeup and, you know, some hair plugs here and there. How did you manage so much work in such a compact period of time? Uh, I mean, I kind of just hit the ground running. I didn't. I started pretty late. I didn't really do theater growing up. So I started in hospitality okay. in Napa. And eventually I 
I was reading a paper uh, when I was at a bell stand. I got hired as a bellman, and I was reading the paper, and I saw a listing in the classifieds for a audition at the junior college in Napa. So I just decided to go. I couldn't really explain why. I had to ask my mom what to do because my mom like is into musical theater. She grew up in Hacienda Heights in L.A., so like she was in the scene when it was like. Ethel Merman's coming to the Pantages and stuff, you know. Holy cow. So she uh, she was really into that kind of classical Broadway era. Oh. And so I asked her what to do because I did not know. It was for Man of La Mancha and I knew nothing about the show. So she said, uh, why don't you sing a song from Camelot? Sing, sing uh, something from, you know, I don't know, some baritone, you know. You got to get a song ready for the audition yep. for a musical. Yeah, it's very important. You got so to show up with your music and hand it to the piano player. Yeah, so I, I learned the song. I went to the audition. I did the thing. The director liked me, which is great. I got fired from my job at the hotel the same day I got called back for the show. So Wait, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I... Uh, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, it really is. There's a lot of those. So I, I kind of switched over from hospitality to theater, and that was like when I was... 25 or something. Okay. Once I started, I just did as much as I could. Some of the words you used in that early part of your story, like classified ad in a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Some of our younger listeners might not know what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a different time. So you're saying it's back a while in, back. Back in, I mean, of course, this was only like 15 years ago, but right. uh, what was I going to do a at the time? A lot has changed in 15 years. Yeah, that's years. right. So. But you're not in a show now. Right? No, no. The last show I did was earlier this year. Well, you let's know. talk about your bus driver gig. Yeah, okay. Platypus Wine Tours. We see the buses very regularly. If you drive mm-hmm. through wine country uh, during the daytime, you're out tasting. You might not notice the buses, but they're out there. There's a bunch of different tour companies. You can call them up and say, hey, we want to visit some wineries. And they will throw you on a bus. And I've always wondered about them. I'm someone who enjoys people watching Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and here's the situation where you put a group of people usually couples that don't know each other you put them on a bus together and then just add alcohol it's (laughs) a recipe for amazing people watching am i right yeah i really would not be able to do the job unless i was fascinated by watching people slowly deteriorate into (laughs) like their basal instincts so you know it's a good time let's walk through a typical day of the platypus bus first who is on the bus people who want someone to decide where they're going to go and drive them right Uh, i'm pretty much you know we have a system where we you can pay just a flat rate and you'll just jump on a bus in the morning, uh, depending on what region. People will maybe specify we want to do Napa or we want to do Sonoma and we'll put people in batches basically based on that. And then uh, I'll just go around and pick people up from different spots throughout like Napa, say. Hotels. uh, Yeah, hotels, B&Bs, stuff like that. Uh, And then sometimes people will come in from out of town and meet me in downtown and I'll pick them up there. And then, yeah, I set up all the reservations beforehand. So they just get on the bus and uh, I introduce them all to each other and tell them how good of friends they're going to be later in the day. And that usually is true. So then from there, we just go and and drink a bunch of wine and get day drunk. And that's that's pretty much it, you know? (laughs) What time does your day start? It varies pretty wildly, but I would say anywhere from 6 a.m. to 8.30, something like that. Oh, man. Depends on. Early. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, we have to prep the buses, and like if I'm picking people up in San Francisco, it's like I got to leave here at like 6.30. Oh, I, I got to be did that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll do, like, I do private charters, too, mm-hmm. so I can pick up people that are in a small group and want to make their own appointments or whatever, and so those days tend to be very long. And you're not just driving them in silence, right? You... 
astound and amaze them with wine country facts along the way because there's some time between wineries. Sometimes, I mean, if you're driving all the way from San Francisco, mm-hmm, yeah. even from winery to winery, sometimes that's 20 minutes or more. Yeah. What's what's some of your uh, your best stuff, if you don't mind sharing? No, not at all. I mean, I, I usually will talk about myself as much as possible. People really love that. You know, I tell them about how I started drinking when I was a teenager because I stole my dad's really expensive wine, and that's, you know, how we get started in the wine industry. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about, like, the industry and, and stories about, you know, I talk to people about the Paris judgment and how, like, you oh. know, how the wine industry in Napa specifically started kind of taking off and people love hear, hearing about that history and because I grew up in Napa mm-hmm. I tend to talk a lot about the stuff that I did you know the places that I would escape to uh, drink and smoke when I was in uh, school local and, color yeah I mean people love that stuff <laughs> so I think people love to have a connection yeah they go on vacation they're away from home they don't know where they are what they're doing and then they meet this guy who's a local and kind right. of has an in yeah exactly people love that kind of oh, stuff oh man and you know I make sure to tell them all the wine is basically the same so don't uh, spend too much money and and they love that too <laughs> ah! it's just grape juice <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> now it's not always a group of strangers Sometimes mm-hmm. it's one big group, and sometimes it's a bachelorette party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does it get freaky? I can't really answer that question uh, on the air because, you know, I could get in legal trouble, but yes, it does. It's a it podcast. Does get, you can say it what does you get, want to say. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to worry about the FCC. Mm, I love that. It does get freaky. I encourage that behavior. You know what I've noticed, though, when we get the buses and it's a bachelorette party? Uh-huh. The, the bachelorettes that have chosen to go wine tasting... I feel like they're a little higher class of bachelorette because very rarely, if ever, do you see them whip out their uh, penis-shaped straws yeah, right, and start right. sucking the wine down. It happens occasionally, but you know, it's a different kind of person that chooses to do their bachelorette in Napa versus Vegas, and right. uh, that usually means that people are they're paying attention to what's going on. They're not necessarily going to be already drunk when they get on the bus. Right, and I, I like doing bachelorette parties. What are the policies on the bus about? Like, we have buses roll in, and it'll be. 10 a.m., 10.30 mm-hmm. in the morning. And I remember going out to greet one bus. And it was a bigger size bus. I went to the door of the bus and the door opened and a bottle of Fireball came rolling out the bo- door <laughs> down the stairs. And I thought, oh, it's one of those Getting started groups. early. If people get on the bus in the morning, do you let them just start popping if they want to? I mean, that doesn't happen that often. Honestly, you have to do a very quick vibe check. As soon as you meet people, you have to be like, am I safe with these people? And like, how much can or can't I allow? So that is a judgment call I make usually as a snap decision in the morning. If people are like, can we bring a handle of vodka on the bus? And I'll be like, "Mm, no, you're not allowed to, you know? So uh, I try to front run those problems before they uh, become bigger issues. No, but some people are in wine country to uh, really appreciate the wine Mm -hmm. And they're here because they know a lot about wine and they're pretty low-key yeah, and right. knowledgeable. And then some people are just here because this is another place to go get drunk right. with beautiful scenery. <laughs> That's right. And we fulfill those promises for those people. Let's go back to the groups of people that don't know each other. You pick up couples and you pick them up one at a time. Pretty soon the bus has got 14 people on it. Right. What I've observed, mm-hmm. the groups at 11 a.m. haven't had a lot to drink, if anything. They're all kind of checking each other out. Sometimes you get a sense that maybe there's one couple or maybe one <laughs> person in one couple that is kind of getting on people's nerves already. Yeah, it happens. Uh, you know, the worst is the people that are like very enthusiastic about wine, mm-hmm. like that consider themselves sommeliers and oh. they want to explain everything to everybody. Snobs. Yeah. We're talking about the snobs. It's a little, it's a little difficult with the snobs. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, mostly people are fine. Like, I had a group the other day. We had a level two psalm on the bus, and he was very... He got his certification during COVID because he had a bunch of time to drink a bunch of wine. Sure. He came out here because he wanted to learn more because he hasn't been doing this for that long. And that was really great because he had really good questions to ask. Mm-hmm. It's not always like that. <laughs> so No, it's, it's great to have good questions. It's just yeah. when they go to that point where they're telling people what they should right, be right. tasting or they're, they're correcting you. Yeah, and I never or- want to, like, correct somebody that's on my bus, too. So there's always a weird thing where it's like... Now I have to issue a fact a fact check here. You know, yeah. I, I try to. You know, you got to toe the line. Yeah, and and then by the end of the day, everybody's had a little bit to drink, so mm-hmm. maybe people mm-hmm. are a little more relaxed. They don't care that there's a big fat snob on the bus, or maybe the snob has gotten less snobby. Yeah, yeah. I in my experience, that happens a lot. I have noticed that too. Snobs like soften up. Yeah, and, and then they're and just another drunk person. Yeah, it's a relaxing industry to be a part of for the most part. I mean, I do have to be very adept at cat herding, but outside of the uh, craziness of people being drunk it's everybody's usually relaxed and everybody has a good attitude like people come here like they've been planning for some people have been saving for like decades Mm -hmm. like go on Mm -hmm. a vacation like this and people always generally have really good attitudes which is uh, makes my job a lot easier it's come to the time on the podcast where we taste the first wine Kyle was kind enough to bring a bottle of wine mm-hmm. to Malbec from uh, uh, an area that doesn't get a lot of love here in California. Tell me where the great Well, it's kind of Sac- Sacramento Valley area, just south of Sacramento in the uh, Delta corridor there. Clarksburg is the, like, yeah. the town. Right? Yeah, that's the district or the area there. All right, tell um, me about the wine. It's 100% Malbec. It's definitely not your average Malbec. I mean, I'm sure you kind of picked up. It's quite a bit uh, fruitier or, or bolder, deeper, I would say, than well, a lot the of Malbec. Thing is, when I hear Malbec, I immediately think it's going to be blueberry fruit. Mm-hmm. If you say fruitier, I'm like, well, it, it can't really get any fruitier. <laughs> right, right. My, but my, that's my impression. It's the it's, Everybody's actually going to say, if you say, what's Malbec taste like? Yeah, right. You know, you know how that is. You're going to have 10 different people with 10 different answers. Yeah, yeah. G- generally, like Argentinian Malbec has a little bit more spiciness to it. A little bit right. less of this kind of like very they grow, fruit forward. They grow a lot of it at elevation, so yeah, it tends right. to be more tannic. And this is very soft, but it's got a really nice balanced fruit, good acidity. I it's really good with almost every food. Like this is one of the most versatile wines I've had in a long time. I've been uh, drinking a ton of it because I just haven't had anything like it, and it's so easy to drink. I mean, it's, it's easy to drink. Is yeah. it easy to purchase? How much is it? So I think it's forty-five or fifty bucks. Okay, Not you buy it bad. from the winery when you yeah, go yeah. Do they give you a discount? They do. That's they good. do. They, they must. Should. Yes, <laughs> you're in the biz. So this is the 2016 Malbec. Clarksburg. Mm-hmm. It's got a single vineyard designation, Herringer Vineyard. So the grapes all came from one vineyard. And the winery that makes it is Auburn James, and they have a tasting room in St. Helena. Yeah, well, in it's, the Napa it's, Valley, it's, right? in the, it's in the valley. It's on the other side of the valley from St. Helena, but it's in that, uh, ele- that latitude area. It's a really nice spot to visit. They have a peacock that lives there. What? Name's, name's Floyd Mayfeather. Which is uh, charismatic. <laughs> I, I, Floyd got, I guess, like Floyd had um, a rope tied around his leg at one point, and he got caught on something. Oh, and no. the winemaker Jim James from Auburn James Jim Frost, he rescued this peacock, and now the peacock has decided that it really likes living on property because I think it feels safe. It's Wait, very cute. so he rescued it from where? Well, it had this rope tied on its leg, and it got caught on something, so it was stuck on like um, a building or something. You know, the rope got caught. But where was this? 
this peacock before? Well, I we don't how know. How did he get the rope on his? And leg? that's the question, right? Like, somebody how did this try to lasso? Somebody tried to lasso wild this peacock. peacock. <laughs> yep. Obviously, somebody was trying to play some kind of rodeo games with this peacock, or it could have been maybe I don't know mice. Maybe they ride peacocks. It could have been a mouse job. I don't know. All I can really say for sure is the peacock got saved, and now it loves it there. Kyle's telling so. stories. <laughs> What do you think of the wine? Tell me. I, I mean, you've obviously been drinking a lot of this wine. I have been drinking Tell a lot me, of this. Uh, give me your ta- basic tasting notes on it. Mm. I'm going to look at it and say it's got a nice dark purple color to it's, it. I'd say it's darker than most Malbecs you find. 2016, so it's still a pretty young wine, although it's 2023 now, so yeah. this has probably been in the bottle for at least five years. Yeah, it's got some... They just released it this year. Uh, they they, they hold, just released this wine? Yeah, they hold wow. all of their stuff quite a bit longer oh. than you would expect, which is great because like you can just who do that. buy it and drink it. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's a dying art form. This has got a really nice kind of smoothness to it because it's tannic, but it's not like heavily structured and it's got some age on it and i mean malbec in the first place isn't a super structure heavy uh grape so it's just like a really nice spot right now to be like, used for anything so. it tastes really purpley yeah that's right uh-huh it's you got know, that kind of robust fruitiness like, to it uh what are the fruits i don't know it just tastes purple it's almost like plum or something yeah i like I, plum and, and blueberry and boysenberry I don't want to say it goes into that candy realm. Yeah, right. It's yeah, it's borderline. It's it's a really nice balanced, easy to drink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely like a great picnic wine. Yeah, because this is going to go with anything you have in the picnic basket. Oh yeah, any flavor of potato chip will match well <laughs> with this wine. Whether it's mesquite barbecue or backyard barbecue or Korean barbecue. <laughs> it's got to be barbecue though. <laughs> it just astounds really love me your... how many different barbecue yeah. chips there are now. That's, but that's another story. Yeah, that is, that's true. It smells kind of creamy. Yeah, I know. It's got that kind of smoothness to it. It's very savory. Do you know how long it spends in a barrel? I think it's 24 months. Okay. Somewhere between 18 and 24. It's. I pronounce it to be delicious. I agree with you, 100%. Again, it's Auburn James Malbec 2016. Uh, I'll put the official name of the wine in the show notes. Prior to starting our recording, I handed Kyle a small stack of Tall Mike Wine Podcast coasters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think of the coasters? You know, I've got them right here, Mike, and I can tell you my personal opinion. These are spectacular. I just, People I love like the, them. I love the fake. People like them. Stain. The wine stain on the back. Because you know it's been, you know what it's for. That's my friend Amanda who designed the back uh, of the coaster. Okay. She's one of those genius people. I can see this, yeah. yeah. It gives you a, it gives you something to aim for. Um, yeah, if I you'd like them. your very own set of Tall Mike Wine Podcast coasters, send me an email at tallmikewine at gmail.com. I didn't need to put that first ad in there, did I? Well, you, you know, it's the it's different, like it's the other kind of ad. To tallmikewine mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Kyle, Sorry. according to your bio, you were born in Southern California, mm-hmm. San Diego? San Diego area, Poway. And, and moved to Napa. The family moved to Napa. How yeah. old were you when that happened? I was a toddler, so two or oh, three. Yeah. Just a boy, just a small boy. Just a little tiny boy. A boy is already putting it pretty hard, I think. I think maybe. I wasn't even at that point yet. Barely a boy. Was just a post-fetus. At Why that point. the move? Why did your parents move you? My folks wanted to uh, relocate, but they weren't sure where. So they spent a few years. I have an older sister, so she was already four, five, six by then. Okay. And they were already kind of spending a few years tooling around, looking at different areas uh, around the States trying to find some place and they went at one one of these trips they went to uh saint helena and they stayed at the el bonita motel in uh saint helena which is hilarious because again the grammar is wrong but it's a cute spot they loved it what's wrong with el bonita Bonita. it should be la bonita oh they're mixing their they're mixing their grammar rules which is 
cute, but that's fine. So uh, they really liked that spot there. And so my dad started, decided starting to look for jobs and he got a job at a winery in Carneros. So they weren't down there in San Diego attached to any specific job, no. etc. Right, right. They were like uh, wandering people. Yes, yeah. My mom was working at a plant nursery. She's very much into gardening and she's uh, very talented with uh, horticulture and all that stuff. Okay. So she was working in a nursery, but my dad had just finished school for uh, mathematics and accounting and so he got an accounting job. Uh, he was doing something before, but I don't know. I mean, I was but they pretty just young. wanted to move. They, wa- like, they wanted to find something let's else. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, and they picked a good spot. This is too beautiful, San Diego. Let's go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, come on. And where's where's better than San Diego? Oh, Napa. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Wine country. It's yeah. a different kind of beautiful. That's right. That's right. So you have a sister. Mm-hmm. Is that the only one? No, no, I have two sisters. Oh. But my second sister, well, my oldest sister is my half-sister, and she's a surprise sister. So I did not know about her until I was like 33, and she's got to be 45 or 47 mm. now. So uh, we when did, did not you become aware of this. It was a gradual process. Okay. My birth sister that I grew up with, she was snooping in my mom's closet one day. Oh, no. And she found a journal. She found a diary. Whoa. And in there, she saw some entries about my mom being pregnant, like before she should have been pregnant. And she showed them to me. And I read through them, too. And we both like, this is weird. But we were worried about springing it on my mom. Right. And over the next few years, like evidence started accumulating, you know, and what ended up happening was my sister found a listing on like an adoption registry website for somebody looking for their birth mom. And they went on to describe like my mom's family, like very specific details. And so then she sent that to me and she said, I think this might be her. And from there, like it's a long story, but basically we ended up meeting and now, like, I'm really close with her. She lives in Richmond. She lives, like, right outside of San Francisco, which is oh. an incredible coincidence. Yeah. And so now, like, she's one of my best friends. And uh, my mom still doesn't met her, but it's fine. Uh, we're having a good time, nonetheless. I feel so, like the, yeah. the, the podcast has just taken a turn toward more like an Oprah-style oh, show, oh, man. right? Uh, we, I met my half-sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it goes. it only goes downhill from here, I have to tell you, so... So your sister that is a full biological mm-hmm, sister mm-hmm. and you grew up in, in Napa. In Napa. Yeah, okay. that's right. At yeah. what point did you decide you needed to be on the stage? We already kind of covered that. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of um, 15 years ago or so. And uh, and so I, I left Napa and I started doing a lot of theater and traveling around and stuff. And I've been back in Napa full time since end of 2019. So once the pandemic hit... I was like, okay, well, I'm here now. It hasn't been that long. So I guess I would say about 15, 10, 15 years I've been doing theater. So what's the next theater thing for you? You have some stuff, Irons in the Fire? I, I do. I auditions do have, you're preparing got, for, any good songs you're working on? I, I mean, I'm always working on good music. I've been actually the last couple, of, the last year or so, I've been getting back into music because I've done songwriting in the past, but I put it down when I started doing a bunch of other stuff. And so I've been focusing more on that lately. We'll see where it goes. I Is it true that it's bad to do a Sondheim song in an audition? It, it I've, I've depends. Heard this, I've heard this that's, before. That's a very good question. It depends. Because very challenging. Yes, it depends on the accompaniment, how it's written. Because Mm. some Sondheim music is extremely hard to play, and you don't want to give it to a piano player at the audition and have them be like, what is this crap? (laughs) So if you know what you're doing, you can do it. Like, I do have one Sondheim song that's... Very, uh, it's a it's a cut song from a show, so not that many people know about it because it never made it to the final. But uh, the accompaniment's easy, so and it's an impressive vocally, so it works for me. But like I wouldn't secret, recommend it. It's like a secret song. That's right. It's what a song. Exactly. Is it? It's called uh, "Multitudes of Amy's." And is it's that from f- Company. It's from Company. Oh, yeah, I, I was in Company. Oh, you were. Yes. What did you do? 
I played the guy that gets to sit there in one of the first couple scenes uh, and smoke a joint. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Is that is that David? Steve Carell played that character when they did the uh, re um, the remount uh, with Neil Patrick Harris. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a great show. Yeah, it's if, beautiful. If you like singing, Bobby, Bobby, <laughs> yeah, Bobby, right. baby, Bobby, Bobby. It's very heady. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finish your wine because we have to go to the next oh, wine yeah, now. All right. I mean, Kyle's been sitting here doing all the talking. Listen, yeah. I've been just listening to him and sipping my wine. And now I'm about to pour the next wine. The next wine is from my wine cellar. And surprise, surprise, it's a Washington wine from a winery called Woodward Canyon. Now, you do really like your Washington wines, don't you? Because I feel well, like I've heard from you several endorsements of Washington well that's kind of where i cut my teeth on wine my original oh. wine awakening happened when i moved far from my home near the seattle area to eastern washington the columbia valley ah. where they grow the grapes and i went wine tasting sort of reluctantly then started to put the pieces together like I see. oh this is cool i kind of like this and here i am 30 now, years later you've been completely transformed 30 Look years you. later i host a wine podcast <laughs> work at a winery <laughs> I'm Tall Mike Wine, for God's sakes. <laughs> and now at least you're not just Tall Mike anymore, you know? Right, exactly. We had to add something to that. Because Tall Mike just was incomplete. Now, you said, like, unwillingly, or, like, how did you end up getting pulled into a... Well, because, so, I was working a non-wine-related job, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not food-related, because I eventually got into restaurants, which is what got me into I see. winery work. A woman at work said, hey, we're all going wine tasting this weekend. And I was a guy who had never really drank wine. You know, I was in my 20s, mm-hmm, drank mm-hmm. beer, would have a have a little, you know, cocktail once in a while. You're an American. Why are you going to drink wine? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I'm an American in my 20s. Right, exactly. I, I'm a That's dude. the important I'm part. basically a dude. Yeah. <laughs> she said, oh, come on, it's fun. We get in a van and we have this cooler packed full of meats and cheeses and we, we drive down into wine country and it's it's beautiful and the vineyard is just amazing and the wine is really good. And we get a little drunk, mm. and I looked at her and I said, you kind of buried the lead there. <laughs> if you would have said, do you want to ride around in a van with us this weekend and get drunk and eat cheese and crackers, mm-hmm. I'd have been like, where's the van? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> That's what it's all about. So that was sort of the little snowball at the top of the hill being pushed off uh-huh. for me. Uh-huh. It started rolling that. down the hill, and pretty soon I was visiting wineries on my own because I, when, I, when I would visit the wineries, I would think, I think these might be my people because <laughs> they're just different kind of people. Yeah, right? that's true. You go from being a guy who hangs out with his friends, eats a lot of fast food, watches a lot of TV. You go to wineries, there are many people who talk about books they're reading. Right. Well, and things that are maybe a little more, I don't want to say intellectual because that sounds really well, I mean, snobby. You already said it. It's too late. But then uh, then I visited wineries. <laughs> Pretty soon, Washington wine was my thing. I made a trip to this region, Walla Walla, Washington, back in 1998. Because I had tasted some of this winery's wine. Oh, this is one of the originals for and you. This was winery number two in Walla Walla. Walla Walla mm. ha- now has wow. uh, a couple hundred wineries. I was just there a year ago. Jeez. I was going there on vacation every year for the last three years. And mm-hmm. then this year I went to uh, Paso Robles instead. Right, right. Woodward Canyon was winery number two, founded by a guy named Rick Smalls, who was a, uh, a native of Walla Walla uh-huh. and had gotten into making wine at home. And then pretty soon he's making wine, opens a winery, and that was in the early 80s. Uh-huh. He kind of got the ball rolling. So they are an OG winery. It sounds like. In Walla Walla. That's amazing. And this wine that we are sipping is their Artist Series Cabernet Sauvignon. 
that they've been making since I think the early nineties. Nineteen ninety two, as I recall. It's one of their uh their top two cabs. They've got two big cabs that they make. One is called the Dedication Series, the Old Vines, and this is the Artist Series. Year after year after year, one of my favorite wines from Washington I, State. I'm uh I'm pleasantly surprised. This is my first Washington cab. Which it's, is hard for me to believe because there's so much good cab that comes out of Washington. Well, but you, you know, live in Napa, as you I, said. I'm from Napa. I mean, what am I going to do? Look, I try to, I want to, obviously, I want to always open my horizons. Wow. But, uh, you know, it's hard, man. It's hard when you've got really good cab all the time around you. And you're like, well, I could have the Washington stuff. But here's the thing. When you go to Napa and you go to a tasting room, and it's kind of a different thing if I go because I'm in the industry. But if a regular person goes to the tasting room. Right. And you go and you're like, oh, man, this reserve cab is so good. How much is it? And they say, it's $300 a bottle. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go up to Washington State (laughs) and you park yourself at almost any winery in Walla Walla and say, hmm, this reserve cab, it's so good. How much is it? And they they almost look at you like they're afraid to tell you because they think (laughs) what they're going to say is going to shock you. Because it's to them, it seems that's high end. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. say, um... It's $65. And then you look at them yeah. and you say, I'll take six. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little yeah. more bang for the buck. Oh, yeah. This no is my question. plug for the Washington wine. You know what? I think it's fine. I, you know, it's hard for me because I'm in Napa and I've got a bunch of free wine and I've got a bunch of discounts. Right. No, we're uh, lucky. We're living the life. I'm very lucky. But if it were, if I were left to my druthers, you've got to look at price points. And, you know, I mean, part of my job as a tour guide is I try to book oh. places that have wow. reasonable price points. Tell me what you think of this wine. This is great. It's definitely more, I would say, it's less aggressive than a Napa Cab of the same age. Okay. I would say it's more balanced because it's not, well, maybe with a Napa Cab, you'd need to have another six or seven years to get to this point. I typically would not open this wine until it were eight or nine years old mm-hmm. instead of, mm-hmm. what is this now, six Seven's, years old? Yeah. I purchased it at the winery in 2020 and have been sitting on it and usually I wouldn't open it, but you were coming and I thought... I want to dazzle you with something fun and interesting. I am impressed. And that's kind of why I went with the Malbec, because I was Mm -hmm. like, he's probably doing a lot of cab. I want something different. But this is definitely, I mean, it's great. Definitely as I'm doing this chewing thing. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's the tannins are big, but they're not. This could sit sit easily for another five years. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll probably last another 10 years. So Mm -hmm. let me just give you the full name of this wine. Mm -hmm. The Woodward Canyon Artist Series. Cabernet Sauvignon, Columbia Valley. The artist series is number 26. They highlight a different Northwest artist every year. They choose a painting or piece of art of some sort and put it on the label. Tell me about this art. Describe it for me. Deborah Van Tuinen has painted this, uh, what looks like, I mean, it's a bit abstract. It's a lot of blue uh, swipes and swirls. It looks a little bit like... said swirl. The name of the painting is Swirl. Ah, see, you've got a real, obviously a good job of naming. It looks like a mix between a skyscape and a seascape. Okay. Uh, which I'm pretty impressed I was able to pronounce correctly. Um, I'd want to see the full-size painting. It, it was actually on display when I was at the winery. Oh, cool. In 2020. It's 60 inches by 60 Whoa. inches, so it's a big painting. That's massive. It's oil and acrylic. It's lovely. The artist, Deborah, is from Olympia, Washington, mm. which is the state capital. Beautiful. And the home of the Evergreen State University, <laughs> which is one of those uh, liberal arts colleges that's really out there. Mm. It was like Contributing to the moral decay of America. It's a, right? it's a hippie school. Mm, yeah. I see. Yeah, well, sure. you know, those communists. It's got some definite bones. It's going to last a while. I'm quite enjoying this here. I it's will say. good. 
I'm glad you like it. I wish we had like a nicely seared ribeye. I know, right? (laughs) But you know, this is quite soft already, which is, like I said, I'm on the Napa time schedule of wines. Well, I have some tech here, and it spent, let's see, where are we at here? 58% new French oak. Mm -hmm. So more than half. Do we know how long? I think 21 months. I printed out a bunch of the reviews because I wanted to highlight something that I find interesting about wine reviews. Because, you know, when we talk about wine... Of course, our opinions, it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We like what we like, and we say what we want to say, but right. it, it could totally you know, be different from what the next mm-hmm. person says. So here are four different wine reviews for this wine. And when it comes to telling you, a lot of the wine reviews try to be helpful. They say, how long should you wait to open this wine, right? So here's one from Jeb Dunnock, who gave the wine 94 points. Okay. He says, the seller will be your friend, and it's going to reward four to five years of bottle age. So I've had this for three years, so we're not there yet. Oh, okay. Okay. And then uh, it's going to have 25 plus years of longevity. That's a pretty bold That's prediction. a confident exclamation from what was the name, John? Jeb. Uh, Jeb. Jeb Dunnock. Okay. Wine enthusiast oh. gave the wine 91 points, and it says, best after... 2025. It's saying, don't even touch this wine until 2025, okay? I want to say that that's an endorsement. Now, let's go to James Suckling, who is a former Wine Spectator writer, oh, but now okay. he has his own wine, James Suckling You've got a, wine yeah. review guy. He says, drink now. <laughs> you know what? There you go. Isn't that great? Three different people, you 20 different old, opinions. Uh, the old enthusiast. <laughs> oh, you better wait on this. Is it at least four, five, six, seven years yeah. before you even want to look at this? Just put it away. Don't even look at it. God forbid, don't open it. And then James Suckling, ah, drink it now. Yeah, well, you know, James is always one to throw a little wet rag on the fire. But I will say, you know, that's like par par for the course for wine is everybody's got their own opinions and you got to do what you want. And that is what what I encourage people here Mm -hmm. when they're in a group and some person says one thing and then somebody else gives them shit about it. Mm -hmm. They feel that about the wine, then that's their own palate. That's their own idea. You got to let them be. Yeah. And this is the beauty of wine sales is there's no wrong answers and you can sell anybody anything because it's just about what people like you know i don't think of myself as wine sales well me you know i think of myself as a storyteller yeah well you are a storyteller the wine has to sell itself that's right i have to tell stories all day so i mean i i get that do you have anything to read for us yeah you know i was thinking about going through like a shakespeare piece okay because I think maybe we could kind of provide us some some meat to chew on. I'm a, I gotta, you have it with you? I got to just yeah. I got to uh, pull I've it asked up Kyle to ready a dramatic reading for us from a show that he likes, a role he has played. I'm always trying to make the podcast a little more highbrow. You know? You've come to the wrong person. Let me tell you, I have not done this role, but I have done the show. Okay. It's from Macbeth. Okay, this is the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech. Okay. So this is from like the end of Macbeth. So he's. His world is crashing down around him. He just found out that his, that the queen, his wife, is dead, finally. He's just kind of reflecting on the futility of making an effort, essentially, because he's been going the wrong way his whole life. So, Do you need, to get a, do you need a moment to get ready for this? Absolutely not. Okay. All right. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out. Out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. 
full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. If I had both hands free, I would be clapping. No, no clapping required. (laughs) But it's a beautiful piece. I mean, I think we all feel sort of at the end of our rope at some point. It's a really poignant spot in the story because, like, I mean, Macbeth is just such an anti-hero. You know, like, he's the good guy gone rogue. He's such a villain, but, like, the way he's introduced, he's a hero. So by the time you get to the end of the story and you hear him kind of proclaiming these kind of, you know, this hopelessness, we all identify with it, but you also see the tragedy of, like, the self-destruction. And I think that's something that we can all kind of pull some lessons from. And, I mean, it's just beautiful. Like, the language, the alliteration, uh, yeah, it's... It's definitely one of my favorite pieces. And you know what's really good about it is it's short and sweet. And it like goes right to the point and then it's over. Yeah. When do you think you'll be old enough to play Macbeth? You know, I'll do it now. I don't care. I, uh, <laughs> I can put some white in my hair. I can put some white in my beard. And I'm ready. Yeah. I don't is that know. your favorite Shakespeare play? I don't know. It's, it's up there. Uh, I really like the comedies too. I like the problem plays. So, I mean, one of my favorites is probably As You Like It. Or Twelfth Night. I really like those kind of like madcap. You know, there's a twin and uh, somebody's changing clothes at some point. I'm sure somebody's described as the wrong gender. Whenever I've seen one of those plays, and I haven't seen a lot of them, I'll Mm -hmm. be honest. Everything goes really fast. (laughs) And trying to pick up the language, Mm -hmm, Shakespearean mm -hmm. rhythms, is really hard. Well, what did you think about what you just heard? Well, that was pretty easy to take. The language in this that piece is not that unusual, but also, you know, that has a lot to do with acting. I mean, I personally have run into issues with shows that I've done where the language becomes impenetrable because if you don't help it along, I mean, it, it's English, but some of the stuff is archaic and you need to help people uh, to keep up. And it's not always done that way. And that can be kind of hard, but I'm a big fan proponent of like being flexible with the Shakespeare because the meter is important, you know, sticking to the syllables and everything, but it's more important that the audience keeps up with you. I've been blessed to like work with people that care more about the story than about the traditions, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that I think makes it a lot easier. That's a real problem, you know, people not being able to follow stuff. Well, and and, uh, theater in general is, you know, it's one of those things that not everybody grows up watching theater. Yeah, right. Going to theater. And it feels like eventually there won't be an audience. Yeah. If if, if you're over their head all the time. Yeah, totally. That's part of the struggle with Shakespeare. That's also why I do musicals. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite musical? I don't know. You know, I really like big stuff. Like Phantom was like the first thing that I got into when I was younger. Phantom okay. the Opera. That appeals to younger people for sure. Yeah, it's like it's pop like, Broadway. Whiz bang. Yeah, yeah. It's like Vegas Special Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Bang. Uh, and I love Les Mis. Les Mis was another one of the big ones for me growing up because my mom would like listen to this stuff on the CD deck oh, when I was a kid. Okay. Like every Halloween, my mom would put on Phantom of the Opera okay. and put on all the scary organ songs. And that was like, you know, our <laughs> Halloween soundtrack. So that kind of got me into it. But these days, I don't know. My favorites are like I love newer shows. Like Hades Town is amazing. Okay, uh, I really like uh, Dear Evan Hansen, another amazing musical. That is a great show. God, yeah. I mean, I've only seen the movie. The show is quite a bit better, but the movie at least gets the idea across. Yeah, I but, just haven't been lucky enough to be around when the show yeah. has been running somewhere yeah, where yeah. I could go see it. Avenue Q, another one of my favorites. Okay, have you seen Avenue is Q? That with the puppets. Yeah, that's the one with the puppets. Okay, there's a lot of puppet sex in that show, <laughs> and I will say I have performed that one, and I have done a lot of puppet sex and. I'm really good at it now. What can I say? I've been trained. You just you never cease to amaze me. <laughs> Wait till we're on stage with puppets. It's a limited well of talent. <laughs> it's an unlimited well of talent. I don't know. 
One of the songs from Les Mis is one of my karaoke go-tos. Oh, really? It, yeah, what is because, it? you know, you're out at karaoke night and you got people, you know, you got really drunk people who want to do hip-hop uh-huh, songs. Uh-huh. And then you got, you know, people doing some, uh, you know, Sinatra songs. Right. And, then, and then you step up and you do Bring Him Home. <laughs> it brings the house down, right? And that that, that kind of quiets things oh, down a yeah. little bit. And people are like, what the fuck's going yeah. on right now? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of the same way in when I get involved in karaoke, but I'm kind of a ringer. So I usually go in and I do stuff like Under the Sea or something like that. Okay. Something yeah. fun that yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with karaoke. <laughs> uh, I started doing karaoke when karaoke was like a new thing. Uh-huh. My favorite songs to sing back then were just all the Frank Sinatra songs, all the great American songbook uh-huh. songs. And then I realized that if you're in a bar full of people, <laughs> one, don't sing a ballad. Right. Because then everybody's just going to lose track of you. And then pretty soon all you're going to hear while you're singing is chatter, 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 chatter. The din of conversation in a bar. Nobody's paying attention. It's the worst. Sing something that people know. Yeah. If you want to have that audience reception, become a jazz musician. Yeah. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Or sing something that is so dramatically wild that right. people just can't help but stop right, right. what they're doing. And when you go into, you know, God on high, <laughs> people are just like, what is going on here? Am I at the <laughs> opera now? Mike, That's it sounds good, man. Do you just do a lot of singing on the podcast? Uh, th- that's the first time I've ever. That's sang beautiful. On the I'm I'm feeling very lucky right now because also the acoustics in here are not that bad. The so. acoustics in the vendors room are pretty good for performing. Yeah. Maybe we'll have another episode with you and me, and we'll sing a few. We'll songs. do a duet. Sing I would be songs. down. That would be super fun. <laughs> but not tonight. No, <laughs> no not at all. <laughs> Are you enjoying being on the podcast? I'm having a blast. I'm have having you a great been time. A guest on many podcasts. I've done one podcast, and it was as a performer. It was like a show. Yeah, it was like a reading. Or a, yeah, it was a reading of something. Okay. Yeah, some dramatic podcast quite a while ago. Do but, you listen uh, to podcasts? I do occasionally. I listen to, it's weird, but I listen to the radio more than I listen to podcasts. The radio's there when you hop in the car. Yeah, right. The accessibility is and like. it comes on. Yeah. For the longest time, that was my big barrier to podcasts. Uh-huh. Even when I started hosting a podcast, <laughs> I didn't listen to very many at all. Mm-hmm. Because you turn on the car, there's NPR, there's Terry Gross. Right, right. Talking to me, and I'm happy with it. Yeah, right. Where there is the little jazz station out of San Mateo College. Yeah. And that's my number two button. Okay, yep. And I'm happy with it. There you go. It's just that whole thing of like, I'm going to find one on the phone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and click OK there, and then get in the car and put Bluetooth. <laughs> and But what do, you, what, what do you like to listen to? I mean, a lot of the podcasts I listen to are either about screenwriting or about history or politics. Mm-hmm. There's a really great podcast called Script Notes, run by two Hollywood screenwriters. Okay. Um, there's The Deep Program, which is more of like a political uh, commentary and news analysis. Politics in Command is one of my favorite podcasts. It's like political analysis and stuff. Okay. I bounce around a lot. you got a few. Yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, very quickly, your dream role on stage. What is the great white whale of your theater being? Well, I guess nostalgia and like just history perspective, I probably really want to play Phantom. Uh, okay, that wow. would be that would be a dream role for me. Wow, because I've been singing that stuff since I was like twelve. Right, Jesus was a bucket list role for me. Okay. I, I got really lucky doing that. I would do that again in in a heartbeat. When um, was that? That was pretty early on when I started. So that was like twenty thirteen or twenty twelve, I think. Oh, right after I d- had just started. 
I was doing Gypsy right before that. Okay. So I was playing Tulsa and Gypsy, and he's like the tap dancing kid with the broom, and he's like 16 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then I went straight from Gypsy. We closed, and Jesus Christ Superstar had already started rehearsals the week before, and I came in late because the shows overlapped. Sure. And so I had no facial hair. I had very short hair because I was supposed to look 16 in the show before. (laughs) So... and we had to just work with it. They were like, well, you're going to be short-haired Jesus with a scruffy beard. And they didn't put a wig on you? No, it would have looked... It was a pretty small venue. It would have looked weird. Right. And and the show was highly stylized, so it was set like post-apocalyptic, sort of like there was Jimi Hendrix posters in the oh, set. So it okay. was kind of like were, fine going, that it wasn't... Yeah. Them. And plus, I'm not black, so it was obviously not historical. So, you know, they didn't care. You're not a person of color. <laughs> what performers... Stage or screen, do you really love? Who inspires you? That's a good question. In fact, I think the reason that I got into interested in like being a performer was seeing performances from people like Ian McDiarmid in Star Wars, uh, the guy who plays Palpatine, uh, Ian McKellen, like these big fantasy roles. These guys all come from they the come from Royal Shakespeare. Company. Yeah, exactly. Once I kind of put the pieces together, I was like, well, I want to do what they do. Maybe I should get into what they were into, and that's kind of sort of how I found my way into classical theater. That was kind of part of what set the fire for me. I had a long period of time where I was like, okay, my goal is to be a troubled character in a Star Wars movie. I want to be a edgy, emotionally conflicted. And then the new Star Wars movies came out and Kylo Ren was in and I was like, oh, well, they already did that. So now if, I'm... Uh, if George Lucas my is chance. listening. <laughs> yeah, I did actually audition for the new Star Wars movies. But when the audition happened... Everything was under NDA at this point, so the script that they the the sides they sent out the scenes to read mm-hmm. were all completely made up, and it was right. just like a very generic like brother and sister sure. in a fight. They just want to get a sense of you, yeah, and they want to know like how you handle, but they can't put any character details out. Yeah, so it was a pretty sense. interesting experience going through that, but obviously I did not get cast. Well, you know, Star Wars is going to go on forever. That's right. I was thrilled when Disney bought Star Wars because <laughs> even though a lot of fans were upset, I was like, oh, I'll have a job one day. If this episode of the Tall Mike Wine podcast were a play, would it be a comedy or a tragedy? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking like this is like a pinter. This is a drama, like a, a pinter domestic drama. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out. I'm going to read the credits now. Yeah. Yeah. Or would you like to read the credits? This is your podcast. I will do what you want me to do. <laughs> I've written it out for you. If you uh, I'll take credit, it. I would love to. Read the part at the bottom there, okay? Okay. Are we ready? I'm ready. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is written, produced, edited, and maintained by Mike Stone. For questions, comments, complaints, or just to tell Mike how great the podcast is, and request your very own set of Tall Mike Wine Podcast coasters. Did I get it right? You did. Send an email to tallmikewine at gmail.com. If you do think the podcast is great, you can become a sponsor. To help with the cost of production, click support the show link in the show notes or go to tallmikewine.com. See behind the scenes on Instagram at tallmikewine, all the wine, all the food, and lots of pictures of Olive, Mike's super sweet kitty cat. I haven't seen any Olive pictures, but... Oh, and the dogs, too. You really just never know what you're going to see. That's episode 49. Thanks for finding the podcast. There'll be more coming soon. Subscribe so you don't miss out on the conversations and wine and fun. In the meantime, I'm Kyle Stoner for Mike Stone. Keep swirling, keep sniffing, keep sipping. Cheers. Nicely done. (laughs) 